credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too, so it's a good old-fashioned hooting and hollering hoedown of a Stuff You Should Know episode. <laughs> Yeehaw! Uh, this is your pick, the the tarot. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, you know who's into this a little bit? Uh, fortune tellers? Well, tarot specifically. Who? My wife. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, Emily has gotten into it a little bit, and she's definitely of the of the state of mind of like, Listen, this is something I do in the morning to sort of have a little quiet time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think she thinks that it, like, guides her life or has any sort of magic qualities. I think it's a little more one of those things like, I'm going to see what my cards say and just sort of ruminate on that stuff. Right. And maybe it'll open up some new ideas and thoughts about life. I was reading a Vogue um, article that was pretty in-depth about it, and that seems to be the general usage of tarot these days. And it's huge. It's gotten really big lately. Apparently, in 2021, a billion dollars worth of tarot cards were sold (laughs) around the world. Yeah, and they're expecting it to go up by another quarter billion in the next three years. So it's definitely a thing, for sure. It's having a moment. But um, it is kind of reassuring that it's not like, following like the the crystals or essential oil healing tract and instead people are like i'm just using this to reflect on my my life yeah and i think she also likes just thinks the cards are beautiful and cool looking and appreciates the art and and that kind of thing which they 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 are very and they can be expensive and super beautiful yeah do you do you know what deck she has i'm sure it's probably just the standard shopping mall deck (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. The I one from ask. Spencer's <laughs> Gifts. Yeah, I should ask. The, um, the uh, Green Day Tarot right. Day. <laughs> Is there really a Green Day? I know some bands have their own. I don't think so. Okay. It's possible. Who knows? All that right. Billy Billy Joe Armstrong, is he's very innovative. He's a savvy little guy. <laughs> he is. <laughs> so um, we are talking about tarot cards today. I think we let the cat out of the bag already. Um, and they are not... As old as you would think. And then their use of, um, for divination purposes, Mm -hmm. is even younger than that. And there's a a really long-standing myth that I thought was correct up until yesterday, the day before, Mm -hmm. that playing cards evolved out of tarot cards 
in in an effort to conceal them at a time when people had to like watch out with their mysticism, their esoteric knowledge, the occult, or else they might be persecuted. So they developed them into playing cards like we have today. That is absolutely false. And in fact, playing cards were around centuries before the tarot deck came along. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and people generally think, it seems like so many things go back to uh, ancient China, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people agree that they were invented in China in the 13th century and then sort of spread their roots from there. But uh, like you said, the regular playing cards were around before this, and the tarot were 22 different designs that were eventually added to a deck. And this was for playing games, like card games. Uh, And it became like a much larger deck, and all of a sudden you could play you know, with more cards that are different, you can play more complex and interesting games. Right. So you had China inventing playing cards, apparently. It's spreading to Egypt, which I had not heard of this um, group. Had you before? The um, Mamluk Empire? I had not. Uh, Mamluk <clears throat> without an A in the middle. It's not a Mamluk. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's Just not that. Mamluk. They were, they were Muslims who controlled Egypt for about 300 years from, like, I think the 13th to the 16th centuries, maybe. And they um, somehow got their hands on the playing cards that China had invented, and they kind of made their own flourishes to it. Um, the suits were kind of familiar, um, like you might, um, you might see today. Kind of, especially in the tarot deck. But one of the big differences was polo sticks. That was one of the suits because apparently the um, the people who were running the show really liked playing polo. But I think that, uh, polo was invented in Iran, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I didn't know that. It was That's a crossword uh, clue the other day. Oh, very nice. Which, which crossword? Uh, Chicago New- Tribune? No, New York Times. Is there any other? <laughs> no, there really isn't. Um, I, I'm sorry, person who writes the Chicago Tribune crossword. <laughs> you do a very good job. I'm sure. It's not fair. Um, so the uh, Mamluk Empire spread out from Egypt. They, they, they had conquests and I think maybe even trade with other places around the Mediterranean. One of the things they did was they went to Italy and they brought with them their cards. And it seems like in Italy, that's where tarot was first created. And it wasn't, again, not created for divination. It was created to make games much more interesting. Yeah, I find it really interesting how many cultural things were spread through either war uh, and the military or, you know, I guess, you know, oftentimes trade as well. But it seems like we talk a lot on the show about like someone went to war with something else and the people that they were fighting loved this food or this game or this whatever Mm -hmm. and took it home. Yep, that's how Lincoln Logs came about. (laughs) Really? No, (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) The South I mean, was like, I don't know about this Lincoln guy, but sure love these logs. Right. People are crazy for them. Right. <laughs> so that's they exported. I guess in that sense, yes, that's okay. how Lincoln logs got over there. So um, <laughs> I think we're going to cut that last little lame addition to the joke out later. Um, <clears throat> so when it arrived in, in uh, Italy, Chuck, it was known as Trinofi, which is another term for the Italian carnival festivals that you see with the masks and everything. But then shortly after that, it changed the names to Tarok, which apparently means uh, foolish, stupid, simple, something like that. And they think that the, the name change happened when they introduced the fool, 
Right. And they, by introducing the Fool card, which is a very well-known um, tarot card, as we'll talk about later, uh, it, it, it signified like a huge change. They took regular playing cards, added 22 more to them. Made them all trump cards, and now you had so much more complicated, complex games. And as a matter of fact, they think this is where trick-taking games came from. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, trump-taking cards. That's what, uh, I mean, if you've never played any trick-taking games, do yourself a favor and learn spades or hearts or something. Gin it, rummy? Sure. Gin, well, yeah, gin rummy counts, I guess. Sure. Uh, no, it totally counts. I guess I always <laughs> think of spades, really, Um I had a, I went through a spades phase uh, when I was kind of in college. It was kind of early on for some reason. Mm-hmm. And oh, and then uh, what's the one in the Midwest that oh my f- wife's family always plays? Get us out of here. <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, uh, euchre. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents played euchre too. Of no idea did. how it's played. No clue. Uh, well, I'm famous in our family for forgetting every single year how to play euchre, and then every Christmas they would then you know re-explain the game. But <laughs> long way of saying these are all like trick-taking games where you have um, you're laying down hands, and then someone will lay down like a trump card, and you can like take all those tricks that are on the board. And there are all kinds of variations of trick-taking games, but they're basically saying that. Uh, I mean, was Taraco the original, the OG? I think so. Yeah, okay. I think it originated in Italy, in the north of Italy. Um, and then after that, uh, it spread to France. And they took the same name, mm-hmm. a Taroc, which uh, in French is Tarot with a A-U-X. Oh, yeah. Obviously, we evolved into Tarot, T-A-R-O-T from there, right? So that's what they think the progression was. But... This was just for making trick-taking games um, interesting, or creating trick-taking games, as a matter of fact. And the people apparently still play it in Europe. I think it's super hipster. I'll bet if you're a Euro hipster, mm-hmm. you probably play the original Tarak or yeah, Taraco, oh, sure. yeah. especially in northern Italy. Yeah. But um, I think also if you're just kind of like a normal person, too, you might you might find it attractive. So it's still being played. <laughs> So there's two kinds of tarot out there in the world, and I say we kind of move on to the one that everybody knows over here um, after an ad break. Hey, that sounds like a great plan. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, 
where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. All right. So I think when people click on an episode called How Terror Works, they're not really interested in hearing about uh, early origins of just another like spades-like game. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to talk about spreading cards on a table and having someone sit across from them and tell them how their day or week or life is going to go. Right. And that's the divination aspect. Uh, divination has been around a long, long time. Mm -hmm. uh, people have been using cards for a long, long time. It's called cartomancy. And I think the French basically invented this in like the 1700s or so, right? Yeah, and um, it was originally they used playing cards. They didn't even use the tarot deck, and people still do cardomancy using regular playing cards. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess to kind of differentiate it, if you're doing tarot, that would be called tarotology, and then cardomancy is using, I guess, probably any other kind of cards. And so um, you think like, okay, tarot is kind of presented as like this ancient esoteric knowledge. It's frequently connected to ancient Egypt mm -hmm. or <laughs> ancient Greece um, that like there's oracles involved and that it's just kind of um, evidence of a longstanding tradition of mysticism and fortune telling. Mm -hmm. And that is 100 percent made up. <laughs> uh, it is. And you had a tone in your voice like you're about to yank the rug out from under <laughs> <laughs> You know me too well. Uh, and yank we are because we actually know for sure uh, where this all came from. It was invented by a couple of guys, uh, a couple of French guys. One a couple was of dudes. Just a couple of dudes or whatever dude in French might be. Dude. <laughs> uh, one gentleman was named Antoine Court de, uh, how would you say that? Gibeline? 
Yeah, I think that's great. All right. Uh, he was born in 1725. He was a writer. He's a Freemason. He was super, as was uh, not a lot of people, but some people back then, interested in the occult and esoteric ideas and things like that. And when he was, I guess, in his, uh, what would that be, like 40s or 50s? 50, I think. Uh, Tara was not super popular at the time. And as the story goes, he saw some women that were playing it, and he looked down, and um, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said he, he glanced down and recognized that the allegory of these pictures on the cards uh, he found were relative to all of life, and there were unlimited numbers of combinations to combine these cards. And that was sort of the inspiration of inventing this divination process. Yeah. Like he said, oh, I've discovered these cards, and it's clear that I've uncovered something here. So de Gebelin was a, a very annoying person. Um, <laughs> and he, he took a um, he took that inspiration and then went back and reverse engineered everything to support the inspiration that he just had. Right. And he did so, again, by just making up a lot of stuff. Um, he wrote this thing that was – it came out in multiple volumes. I get the impression it was a little bit like maybe – the Paris Quarterly or something like that, or the um, Paris Review Quarterly. Yep. That legitimizes it more than I was thinking. But this, okay, <laughs> how about the Hoboken Quarterly Review? <laughs> oh, okay. ouch. <laughs> but it's true, though, you know. Um, so he called it the primeval world, comma, analyzed and compared to the modern world, which pre- seems pretty pre-tolent. straightforward. Yeah. yeah. It's fine with me. The thing is, is each volume, he just started talking about esoteric stuff. He wrote essays about whatever was on his mind. And he was trying to kind of build up this compendium of ancient knowledge that, again, this guy was just pulling out of thin air. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like he was the guy who pointed to ancient Egypt and said, there mystery lies. There's there's an esoteric mystery tradition there. He wasn't even the original with that. He was just kind of playing off of some stuff that was popular at the time and really going to town with it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the franchise did a lot of people saw Egypt as this sort of um, mystical, magical place uh, with, you know, for a lot of reasons. But he's the one that sort of Again, didn't invent it, but borrowed on that idea. Uh, in one of these volumes, he wrote an essay on tarot connecting it to Egypt. Uh, and then he had his friend, uh, Louis-Raphael uh, Lucrece de Fayol, <laughs> Count of Melech. <laughs> that was beautiful. I'm not sure how much of that is right, but um, they got together as a team and he was also um, a dude that was interested in the occult and stuff like that. They tended a to did. hang a dude. They tended to hang around together, and so they got together and sort of made up these description of uh, the game and the tarot deck, or not the game, but I guess the practice and the tarot deck connecting it to Egypt. Yeah, what was pretty cool was that they they. Um they said, you know what the tarot deck is? These 78 cards. Um, I don't know if we said, and if we didn't, sorry. When they added the tarot trump cards to the existing deck of cards, it uh, it made 78 cards. They had 56 cards in the playing cards um, deck before, added 22 tarot cards as trump cards. So you had a deck of 78. So what um, uh, de Gebelin and de Foyel <laughs> mm-hmm. so, I like you. 
um, <laughs> said was that these things were actually existing disguised pages from the Book of Thoth. Right. And it's actually really cool if you stop and think about it. Like along the lines of like Ghostbuster, uh-huh. um, like like Sumer um, kind of mysticism, cool. And Thoth, if I'm, I, I hope I'm, pr- I'm pronouncing it correctly, he was a god of ancient Egypt, a real one. He was known for um, balance in the universe. He was credited with um, creating, if not all knowledge on earth, mm-hmm. at the very least certain knowledge like law, magic, philosophy, religion, science, writing. So he's a good guy. And he also was known as an infallible judge. I saw it put somewhere. Um, so he would be perfect to be the one who you could use the Book of Thoth to kind of predetermine the future because you were basically tapping into Thoth to say, um, hey, buddy, can you help me out here? I need to know the future. Can I sidebar for a moment? Yes, please. Or what do we call it? What do people Approach. call it when we talk about different <laughs> <laughs> Tangents? Yeah, yeah. Can I tangent? Yeah. <laughs> Approach. Uh, you mentioned Ghostbusters. I just wanted to point out very fast uh, that – we showed my daughter the original Ghostbusters for the first time uh, last week. Awesome. And it was surprisingly, like, okay for a seven-year-old. The jokes that weren't super appropriate, as usual, kind of go over her head. Mm-hmm. And she loved it. And so the next night, we watched the recent uh, sequel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. And it, that movie, I think, is very unfairly piled upon. I don't get it. It's not good. Uh, and maybe it has something to do with watching it with my daughter and watching them two days in a row. But I thought it was quite fun and super, super enjoyable. Yeah. I would say it's P.T. Anderson's, like, deepest movie. <laughs> At the very least, it's most entertaining. I, I didn't think it was perfect. And I know it was a big nostalgia play, but I bought in and we just had a great time watching it. So yeah, I, I liked thought it, it was too. a lot of fun. It was a little weird that, like, Egon at the end was like, hmm, I'm not going to say anything, but I'll give you some head nods kind of thing. I think that they really could have workshopped that a little more. Um, mm. Sorry for spoiling it for everybody, but um, <laughs> that I, other than that, I thought it was really engrossing, really cool. I liked all the characters. This, Paul Rudd, of course, is amazing, so I say go see it, too. I think they kept him from talking a lot at the end because they didn't want to overdo a, a sort of dodgy uh, you know, resurrection. Totally. Like it could have gone off the rails if he was like, hey, everybody. No, com- <laughs> completely, for sure. They they featured, it gave him too much screen time then. Oh, okay. So then cut back a little more even. Mm-hmm. Okay. Totally. I, I can yeah. see that. That's my take on it. Uh, anyway, back to Tarot. Um, I'm all about the new Ghostbusters, though. And we're going to show her the, the reboot with uh, Kristen Wiig and the gang, too. What about two, Ghostbusters 2? You can't I, skip over that. Yeah, sure you can. <laughs> With Janos, hello, where's the baby? It had its moments, but I don't know. Even, oh, even the, Bill Murray and the whole cast were kind of like, that was a garbage movie. What? Yeah, Ghostbusters 2, was. they were not very proud of it. I'm going to have to go back and watch it because I liked it. All right. Well, maybe we will. Um, where were we? <laughs> uh, we were talking about how these guys, De Geblin and um, his buddy uh-huh. De Foyel, yeah, yeah. Um, had just basically made all this stuff up. And I think we left off with how it was actually kind of cool that they linked it to lost pages from the Book of Thoth. Sure. So they have now described this uh, divination process. And it wasn't like it was a huge deal all of a sudden and like the latest fad that, you know, caught like wildfire all over the world. Um, it 
that did catch on in a pretty big way, but that came a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But what is clear is that all of these sort of stories that you hear about tarot as um, of, of like the the origins of it, and then the, there's some pretty fanciful stories written up about you know uh, monks that created this game, and mm-hmm. these decks were found in ruined temples and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like all of that just seems to literally have been made up to create kind of a fun backstory. Yeah, and I mean, you can kind of get the idea. Like, this is pretty cool stuff, and like a bunch of people took a crack at it. Um, Eliphas Levi, who created Baphomet, our buddy, mm-hmm. um, he contributed to it, said this is actually has to do with Kabbalah, the Jewish mysticism. Paul Christian, um, who uh, I can't remember what his original name was, he added to it too, but he was a very famous mystic um, or occult person. And like that whole spiritualism. Remember we did a whole episode on that? I do. Those same people mm-hmm. interested in in mediumship and the occult and all that just basically added to this. They'd be like, also this and also that. It was just a lot of people who are out of their minds contributing to this really neat, totally made up uh, mythology surrounding tarot cards. And then finally, Chuck, we arrive at Aleister Crowley. Yeah, all roads... Point to old uh, AC, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, if you listen to that episode and and got through my sort of uh, sneering through the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, you will remember the gold, the uh, Temple of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was in mm-hmm. London, and this was a, a group that Crowley was uh, was he the leader of or just a big time member? He, he staged a coup, if I'm not mistaken, and okay. they ended up breaking up um, rather than just let him lead. All right, that that sounds familiar. So the breakup led to uh, different factions and different groups sort of splintering off, mm-hmm. and one of which was led uh, by someone named A.E. Waite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where the story um, kind of takes Tarot to the uh, to the forefront of popularity. Um, right. In 1910, A.E. Waite published The Pictorial Key to the Tarot, and uh, this is where the, the most famous deck, like, the deck that you would probably buy today in the shopping mall comes from A.E. Waite uh, getting together with uh, Pamela Coleman Smith, mm-hmm. who I believe was the artist. And this, you know, kind of changed the deck up. And this is this became sort of the most popular one, I believe, in early 1900, 1909 or so. And it's still the most popular. Yeah. I mean, far and away, especially in the United States, it's called the um, Waite Smith deck or the Ritter weight because I, I think Ritter published it, and it's it's it, if you saw it you'd be like oh yeah that's that's a tarot deck that's what I think of it as it's this beautiful Art Deco um, illustrations um, that like if you if you again if you just think of a tarot card like you're probably imagining a um, Wait Smith tarot card because Pamela Coleman Smith just nailed it I mean this is 1909. And there's a lot of different decks that have the same thing, but they're just mm-hmm. drawn differently or whatever. They're still publishing this um, a, a hundred years plus later. It was yeah. just that well done. Yeah, and I think they also, um, I don't know if it was to make it more popular or not, but there was a lot of Christian imagery on previous decks, mm-hmm. and they kind of toned those down a little bit for this deck. Uh, like they said, hey, why don't we get the Pope off of there and include some cool, like, ancient uh, Grecian priest instead. Right. Uh, maybe it was just to make it a little more sort of mysterious. I think so for sure. But also, not they didn't want to scare off the occultists, you know? Right. They didn't want it too popey. Right. <laughs> 
They also, there was a papist too, papist. Sure. Um, she became the high priestess. Um, but in, it also followed a lot of tradition too. I think the moon card um, has been generally unchanged for like 500 years. That's cool. It still, still contains the same baffling imagery uh, that it always did. The moon card means um, it means illusion and deception and that things are not as they appear. And so, of course, to demonstrate that and get it across, the moon card has a moon. Um, it also has a path that leads off into the distance, an animal on either side of the card to represent two sides of human nature, I guess good and evil kind sure. of thing. Yeah. I got that part. Here's where it really takes a weird turn. There's towers in the, in the background, odd, and then there's a crawfish crawling out of the water. Yeah. I mean, that's got to symbolize some sort of evolution, right? I, I don't know. I have no idea what the crawfish um, means. I bet that's and I don't really want to know. It's just so yeah. odd that, that I would rather that be some sort of hermetic mystery for me forever. All right. Well, don't write in about that then. Yeah. Please don't tell me. Dear listener. Uh, let's take a break. Yeah, let's take a break and we'll talk a little bit about the deck itself because, like, what, what's even on these cards, right? Yeah. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiment and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, 
and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Okay, Chuck, where we left off, uh, basically a man discovered a deck of cards mm-hmm. and decided that they were mystical mm-hmm. in much the same way that if somebody discovered a World of Warcraft deck mm-hmm. 200 years from now and decided <laughs> that you could use them to tell the future, exact same thing. Wow. But uh-huh. he made such a cool mythology around it that it, it just caught on. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the deck. There are... Uh, not the most in-depth thing. We can't get into every card, but just sort of an overview. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned that there are 78 cards. 56 of these are what's known as uh, the Minor Arcana. Mm-hmm. And they are the number cards, and they're divided into four <clears throat> different suits, uh, which are wands, uh, swords, pentacles, and cups, um, which sort of explains the uh, Terrence Malick film Knight of Cups was in reference to the tarot. Oh, yeah. I saw there's a compilation of tarot and films on Vimeo that somebody oh, yeah? just made of, yeah, just imagery from the tarot that, that um, shows up in films without, you know, making a big deal out of it kind of subtly. But was that one of those, like, look, it's everywhere kind of things? A little bit. Uh-huh. But, I mean, they didn't <laughs> hammer it home. They really just showed you, like, yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff. And then in the end it said, see, it's everywhere. See, told you. Uh, all right, so the pentacles, the cups, the wands, and the swords are the four suits. And uh, there are also face cards in these suits, the page, the knight, the queen, the king, and the ace, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I mean, just like a regular deck of playing cards, there's uh, one through ten cards and then the, the face cards. And then on top of that, there's the 22 tarot cards that you right. think of, like like the fool that we mentioned or the hierophant uh, we mentioned earlier. Um, and they're, I think the minor arcana or arcana, mm-hmm. um, those are like the one through 10, jack, queen, king, um, kind of thing. And then the major arcana or arcana, the 22, um, those are the ones that are like the money div- divination cards. Right. But you can also divine the future based on some of the, the lesser cards too. And, uh, I think people have kind of added to that over time, and that was one of the reasons I think that the um, the Waite Smith deck was so interesting. Is that they really took some of the formerly just kind of disused uh, cards and really dressed them up with new imagery, and I think that was one of the reasons it became so popular. Should we talk about some of the Big Daddy cards? Yeah, let's do that. All right, uh, there's the Tower card, and this is not a card that you want, and we'll talk about readings and how those go in a minute. Uh, but generally, you know, you sit across from someone or you do it yourself mm-hmm. and you spread a certain number of cards out depending on what kind of spread you're going to use. Uh, if you get that tower card, it's it's not a great card. It's probably the worst card you can get. Yeah. Um, it indicates all sorts of bad things. Uh, uh, something that might happen to you that really has a negative impact on your life. Uh, destruction, chaos, uh, sort of like the rug getting pulled out from under your feet. Mm-hmm. Um it's just no good. So you don't want to you don't want to get that tower card. 
No, <laughs> you definitely don't. And then just kind of as a nod to what I was just saying about some of the minor arcana cards also being fairly potent, I've seen, um, and also thanks to t the tarot guide and I publishing for some of this info, um, that the Ten of Swords, again, that'd be like the Ten of Spades in like a regular deck, mm -hmm. that it is actually one of the, the worst cards, that it's a runner-up to like the worst card you can get. And it's more about like being bad-mouthed behind your back or mm -hmm. betrayed, um, the uh, the end of a relationship or a situation, hitting rock bottom, nobody likes that. No. But we should say <clears throat> at this point that when the card is pulled, mm -hmm. it can be pulled upside down. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of interpretations with that. One is that it means the opposite of what it normally means right side up. Opposite day. Or basically bizarro tarot. Uh-huh. Or it also means um, that the effect that it means right side up is just going to have, like, it's going to be weaker than it would have been had the card been right side up. Yeah, I mean, the direction certainly matters with how the card is drawn and, and laid and spread, uh, and it seems to matter even more maybe when they're, if you're not just doing sort of a standard one-card thing or, like, the three-card spread, which is very common is uh, past, present, future. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems like the more cards... Uh, what's the Celtic cross? That's the sort of the most common complex one. And that one really, uh, it really matters which way these cards are pointing in relation to one another. Yeah, and also each spot on the Celtic cross spread uh, represents a specific thing. So the card, uh, the, the card you draw for that spot is how that, whatever that card says, like say chaos or something like that, mm -hmm. um, how it relates to that part of your life. Um, like work, like say. Um, and then you've got not just the interplay between the card and its position, but also that card and its position and the other cards and their position. So it's really complicated and mm -hmm. complex very quickly. But, I mean, it's kind of like a really, like a full astrology reading. Like you can you can really go to town and come up with some really in-depth readings for people, starting with the Celtic cross for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've also got the Fool card, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, just to follow up on that, that is the first card of the major arcana, and that is that's a good card. Generally speaking, it's a positive mm -hmm. thing. Uh, a lot of times, in, it can indicate like a fresh start, a new beginning. Um, if you're going to go on some exciting new adventure, you might uh, draw the fool card if you believe in that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a cute card. There's especially in the um, uh, Wait Smith deck. It's like a youth. Who's got like a little bindle over his shoulder? Yeah, cute little white dog jumping up, barking at him. Like, hey, it. you're about to step off of a cliff. I think he's got a <laughs> flower that he's smelling, and just kind of like a, a, a happy, transfixed look. You know, the fool is usually a pretty happy person. And that's a that's like a good example, though. Like, you would not necessarily think the fool is a good card. Same with the death card. Um, obviously, anytime somebody gets the death card, they are a little flipped out right. until the reader <laughs> tells them, actually, don't worry, the death card doesn't actually mean death. You'd be way closer to being worried about dying with the tower card. The death card is much more um, associated with change, transition, new beginnings, ends of old things. It doesn't, you're, it doesn't mean you're going to die, no. unless it does. In and that it, case. It, uh, it does not help, though, that when they draw that card, they say, and the card of death is upon your head. <laughs> that was so good. That was such a great degebelin. 
or maybe we should get Meagle to uh, to do a little tarot dealing. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> Meagle's right. in his dressing room right well, now. Well, I think on. yeah. I need to. I need to sort of parse that out. I can't over Meagle you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I just miss him so much. He'll be back. Don't worry. I know. His I know. his taffeta is sweaty right now, though. <laughs> Uh, so those are, you know, some of the major arcana that are sort of the money cards that, uh, you might see if you go to a tarot reading and, uh, get told by some, you know, little old lady, what's going to happen in your life. Yeah. Or a, a young lady or a young man or an of old course. man or All kinds an of old, do it. you know, <laughs> um, binary, non-binary person, all sorts of different people. And that's the point. Any single person can be a tarot card reader. And one of the things that I saw suggested, Chuck, was to do what Emily does. Like mm. every morning, take a card and just think about it for the rest of the day. What does that card mean to you? Mm -hmm. How does it tie into your life right now? And by doing that, you know, over and over again on a daily basis, you're just kind of wading into the world of tarot cards. And you're also just absorbing what each card means and how it can possibly relate to somebody's life. So I saw that in vogue um, as a really great way to kind of start and get into tarot. Mm -hmm. And that's... Um, that, again, it's evidence that anybody who's interested can become a tarot reader. Again, I just want to stress, there's nothing magic about tarot. There's nothing magic about tarot readers. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not accomplished. Some of the um, tarot readers out there are really, really talented at what they do. They're just not performing anything magical. And any reasonable tarot reader will tell you the exact same thing. Right. And for listeners, uh, I was desperately trying to think of an in vogue joke. <laughs> and all I can think of is... Something about you're never going to get it, but... Never going to get it. Never going to get it. The time came and went, but I know we were all thinking the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, I'm with you. It's clunky, but sometimes you just have to go back <laughs> and, like, cite a joke, even if you don't pull it off right then. I do that, too. I'm with you. Okay. So, I guess, you know, we, we said that there's a spread that happens, and, di you know, there's different ways of doing it, and obviously different ways of reading and interpreting the cards, but... Uh, generally, you will have someone or yourself will do whatever spread you've decided upon. And if you're giving someone else a reading, uh, there are some people that, that think that that person being read should like, as the cards are being shuffled and such, should talk out loud sort of about the questions that they might have. Mm -hmm. uh, some people think that they should actually cut the deck so they physically interacted with it, while others say, no, they shouldn't touch the deck, hands off. So there's sort of different ways of going about it depending on your methods, I guess. Yeah, um, and I also saw that the, the your tarot deck is supposed to have been gifted to you. You're not supposed to buy your own tarot deck. But, oh, again, there's no hard and fast rules in tarot. And anybody who's, like, stressing you to, to adhere to hard and fast rules does not get tarot. So they yeah. just need to be quiet. <laughs> Bless your mouth. So, um one of the th one of the ways that this pops up is that tarot is actually sometimes used by psychotherapists, and it yeah. actually has a f kind of a lengthy tradition in psychotherapy dating back to Carl Jung, who, uh, starting in the 20s or 30s, became interested in tarot, among some other divination tools like the I Ching, astrology, um, was trying to find these archetypes that are universal to human consciousness that mm -hmm. he believed tarot kind of reflected, whether on purpose or not, and that you could use that as a way to kind of unlock that part of yourself that or that part of the universal consciousness that was in yourself. Uh, Carl Jung was maybe a little off the mark with that, but 
there's this idea that you can use this the, a tarot reading to really stop and reflect and think about your mm -hmm. life. And that's a really great tool when you're in psychotherapy um, or counseling or any kind of therapy. Um, the, anything that can kind of get you to stop and think about chaos at work mm -hmm. or your love life or whatever in a certain way um, that's kind of guided by the card that you draw, um, that's that's helpful. That's useful. And there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, – and I, I don't think there are a lot of psychotherapists out there that are saying like, let this be the guide to your life or anything like that. <laughs> no, run uh, if your psychotherapist yeah. <laughs> says that. I think it's more along the lines of like if they if the if it helps the patient and if they get something out of it as far as delving deeper into their own psyche. Uh, and as long as the psychotherapist gets money too, sure, oh, then well, it's all good. Sure. I mean, that fifty minute clock is going to run. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ooh, you get fifty lucky. Yeah, forty three. Forty <laughs> three? Is that real? Yeah. No. Oh, uh, okay. No, I'm kidding. I can see 45, but this is like, what do they break for commercials? <laughs> right. Okay. What if um, you go to a tarot reader okay. and they just nail it, especially if it's presented to you as like, mm, you can kind of see a little bit of the future with these cards. I'm not supposed to say that, but it's true. And they nail the reading. Like, it just speaks to you. And there are plenty of people out there who have that, have had that experience. But luckily, science can swoop in and say, calm down, calm down. There's actually a really good explanation to this. And there are two sides of the same coin. One is cold readings. The other is what's called the forer effect. Yeah, and we, you know, we talked about cold readings and uh, she's, I feel like we've done a few episodes where we kind of touched on that. Mm -hmm. But that's the idea that when you sit down in front of a, uh, a, a reader, or it could be whatever, if they have the crystal ball or the tarot or mm -hmm. they're reading lines on your hand and stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, that they are really, um, if, if they're good and they stay in business, then they're probably really good at cold reading, which is sort of just picking up on either uh, obvious clues that you may not realize that you've even said out loud or even sort of subconscious clues that they pick up on and how you carry your life or maybe how you walked in the room or what kind of car you arrived in and just sort of picking up on all these blatant or non-blatant clues that a person might unconsciously or consciously give. Right. Um, so, uh, that's where the reader is doing the work. Right. There's also another way where the readee, the person getting the reading, actually does the work. And that is that four effect I mentioned, which is, uh, it's named after a psychologist who coined it. It's also called the Barnum effect, based on P.T. Barnum's famous uh, saying, there's a sucker born every minute. Yeah. It's people's willingness to accept very generic, very generalized information as tailored exclusively to them, which is something that can happen in a tarot reading. And in that case, it's not the reader doing the work. It's you, the readee, who's like, oh, that makes 100% sense. I totally see how that, that jibes with my life. Obviously, these tarot cards are, are perfect in showing me the future. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a confirmation bias in a way because you'll you'll remember uh, the things that were confirmed and you kind of don't really think about the other like six or seven things that didn't come true. Right. Exactly. Interesting uh, one, stuff. Yeah, for sure. One other thing that they could read are strangers in a cup of tea or beverage. Ah. Mm -hmm. That can be read nice. as well. Cold read too. Thank you. Uh, you got anything more about tarot? Nah. Me either. I think that that's uh, the end of this episode then. Okay. And since Chuck said nah, I said me either. 
obviously, everyone, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this a, a correction, and uh, we got we heard from a few people on this. This email was a, a little bit of a spanking about okay. uh, the condition of John Denver upon his death. Oh, yeah. Sorry, John Denver's family. <laughs> hey, and guys, the ghost of John Denver. I was very disappointed uh, to hear Josh make the false claim uh, that John Denver had cocaine in his system at the time of his plane crash. Uh, toxicology tests were negative for all drugs, including ethanol. Uh, the following pertinent paragraph was taken from the NTSB investigation. Uh, I'm not going to bother reading it, but it basically <laughs> says what this guy says, which was tests were negative for all screen drugs. Uh, if you'd like to review the whole report, you can find it here. Um, while Mr. Denver was no altar boy, uh, drugs played no role in the crash that killed him. Uh, and it's a sad disservice to say otherwise to his memory and his family. Yeah. Very disappointing, you guys. And that's yeah, from sorry. John. Maybe it's John. The, the ghost of John Denver. It, it could be. He and uh, George Burns are hanging out. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry, John Denver and John Denver's family. That's I don't know how I fell for that, but I totally did. I'd, I knew that like years and years and years ago, and I guess I just never bothered to look it up. So my apologies for that one. And I take it back. We should do a short stuff one day on the West Virginia controversy in Country Roads. Because, oh, yeah? Uh, uh, yeah, there's two sides that have long been fighting, and I think they each think it's settled of whether or not Almost Heaven was the state of West Virginia or the western part of the state of Virginia. Oh, that is a, that's a feud. I don't know if we should wade into that hornet's nest, Chuck. <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, and also, I think John, I like John, John Denver, by the way. I, I've said it before. I think Same he here. wrote one of the best songs about Toledo ever made, Saturday Night in Toledo, Ohio, where he talks about how you can go to the park and watch the grass die because it's so boring. <laughs> I love John Denver. Good stuff. Yeah. So hats off to John, hats off to John Denver, and hats off to us for being big people, especially me, and admitting our mistake. (laughs) If you want to get in touch with us and let us know about another mistake we made, doors wide open. You can send it in an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon Podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes, with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, Every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. 
our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.